All right, there we go. Now hopefully you can hear me, uh, hear me okay at home. Can somebody give me a thumbs up upstairs? We're good? All right. Well, we're not perfect. Never claim to be. Jesus is. We're going to point to him this morning. So uh, thank you guys. There's been so much going on behind the scenes to make this happen. So thankful for the people who are involved. Thank you for those of you who made videos uh, to be a part of this. It's a wonderful gift to be able to connect in that way. If you have your Bible with you, open to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, kids, those of you who are there in your living room, many of you probably still in your uh, PJs, which is great that you can be a part of that. Grab your Bible. And we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 12 here in just a few minutes, and then we're going to connect Hebrews chapter 12 with Matthew chapter 27, where our church has been for a long time going through the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to tie these two passages together, Hebrews 12 and Matthew 27, and begin to think about what does it mean to continue to look to Jesus. A couple of heads up as we move ahead just remember that we're going to continue to connect together through those 11.30 a.m. Facebook Live videos. So if you're available during the day or you see Emmaus Baptist Church pop up with a live video or a video at some point during the day, jump in on those. It's a way for us to provide updates, provide encouragement to stay connected to uh, as a church. Also, thanks to all the Sunday school leaders and small group leaders as you continue to reach out to your group, making phone calls, connecting with people. I know many of you are doing Sunday school through Skype or Facebook Live or Zoom or something like that. Keep going. Uh, There's been some incredible stories that have come out of this. In some way, with everything that's gone on, the Lord has been able to connect us together e- even tighter and in new ways. And so I'm thankful for the way that we're doing, we're doing that. Students, kids, continue to connect with ways that you're able Thank you so much to the students that have been reaching out to some of our older adults, some of our families. There have been some neat stories and pictures that have come out from that. Keep going. I'm so sorry for what you guys are facing with school, and so many of you had events that you were going to be a part of, and I know that life has been turned upside down, but thank you for the way that you continue to proclaim and display Jesus. Students, this is your time to rise up. This is your time to make an impact. Don't back away from faith. Continue to push ahead. Continue to live out your faith in your home and in the impact, the influence you have around you with friends in different ways like that, just, just keep going, keep going. Uh, also, know that our staff is meeting together, working a lot behind the scenes. We're, we're going to meet specifically this week to begin talking about Easter. What does it look like on Easter weekend and even beyond? So pray for us as we're making plans, making decisions about that. And in the middle of all that, Emmaus, remember what doesn't change that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. And we are able to do that more than ever. It's going to be good when we're able to gather back together for times of gathered worship, but who we are as a church, how we live that out, speaking about Jesus, typing about Jesus on social media and text messages, living a life that shows the good news of Jesus, that doesn't change. Uh, If you find yourself overwhelmed, If you find yourself a little bit disoriented, remember, how do we do that? We live that up. We focus on the things of God through prayer and praise, and so we connect with him. We do that in. We get God's word in our life. We get connected with the church. We get connected in these groups, and then we spread that out. And so in the middle of chaos, in the middle of change, in the middle of uncertainty, remember that those things do not change. And another thing, the thing that does not change is the word of God. And so I would invite you for the next few minutes, back away from the chaos around you, back away from scrolling through your phone, back away from everything going on, 
And let's look at God's word together. I believe God has brought us to these passages this morning. It's gonna be important for who we are as a church. It's gonna be important for your life. So let me read these verses. Hebrews chapter 12. If I didn't say that earlier, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, I'm gonna read the first three verses and then we'll go from there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Father, I pray that as we think about these verses, as we think about Matthew chapters 27, as these family members and friends are gathered in so many different places, studying scripture together, God, we admit that we get weary at times. We are so easily distracted. God, we live in a world with a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, and yet we know that your character, the truth of your word, the hope of the gospel, those things don't change. God, I pray for friends right now that are dealing with anxiety, that are dealing with feelings of isolation. God, maybe those who are overwhelmed because of job loss, or because of broken relationships, trouble in their home, God, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, God, that this would be a time of hope, this would be a time of healing, and God, even as we're apart physically, that you would bring us together as a church around the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Emmaus, watch one more video right now. I want you to see this video, and it's gonna propel us into our, our time together this morning. So watch this video. I know it's a form of cruel and unusual punishment to show you a video uh, about the Olympics in a year when so many of us were looking forward to watching the Olympics, and now that's been, been postponed for a time. But, but that, that video from the 1992 Barcelona Games and what it looks like for someone to face adversity in a race, to be working toward the goal, working on this race, to face a torn hamstring, to face adversity, and then to be able to keep going. 
What we need to hear together as God's people this morning, if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're trying to think about your life, how do I live life well? How do I continue to move ahead? As we think about those things together this morning, we're going to think about what does it take to keep going? Because the reality is that many of us have been operating on adrenaline for a while now. We've been operating on adrenaline. We're doing our best. The church is gathered together. The school systems are doing what they can. We're people are going all around. Here's the thing. If it has not already happened to you, it is going to happen soon. That adrenaline will run out. We can only run on adrenaline for so long. We can only press these things for human strength, human power for so long. We're going to face adversity. We're going to face difficulty. We're in this for the long haul. The question we have to ask as a church is how do we keep going? How do we run well with endurance the race that the Lord has marked out for us? My prayer for us as a church, the thing that even brought us to this passage this morning, is that I was thinking about Emmaus, praying for you as a church. The thing that the Lord put on my heart is, I don't want our church just to run well for the next seven days. I don't want us just to run this race for the next seven weeks or seven months. We have a long-term mission, a long-term goal, and in the middle of everything that's happening right now, we have to ask the question, how do we run with endurance? When your family runs out of adrenaline, when the closeness of your home begins, the walls begin to come in, when the isolation sets in, when the difficulty sets in, how do you keep going as followers of Jesus? If you're even uncertain about the direction of your life, how do you run well? Hebrews chapter 12 At the end there, middle to end of verse 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which cleans so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame." The answer to our question is very simple, and then we're going to unpack it in several levels. How do you run with endurance? How do you keep going when the adrenaline runs out? How do you continue to live life well? How do you find direction for your life if you feel disoriented? You look to Jesus. I know there's a piece of that could feel too simplistic in this time, but instead of feeling simple, I hope it feels foundational for you. How do we run with endurance as a church? How do we live the life that God has set before us? We look to Jesus. There are so many things that could gain our attention right now. So many places we can look. So many things we can consider. And what I'm going to ask us to do this morning is to look to Jesus. And specifically, notice it says there in verse 2, we look to Jesus, the one who endured the cross, despising the shame. If you have your Bible open and you like to write in your Bible, there at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, you can just write a little note that says Matthew 27. Because when I read that passage this morning, or this week I should say, endured the cross, despising the shame, the best way I know to illustrate that is to take you back to Matthew 27, which is where our church has been on this journey through the Gospel of Matthew. So kids watching at home, those of you watching at home, take your Bible, or your phone if you have it in front of you, or the the verses will pop up on the screen from time to time. Go to Matthew 27 in your Bible. As we think about what it means to look to Jesus, as we think about what it means to run this race well, I want us to see what it means that Jesus endured the cross, 
and despised the shame, made little of the shame, didn't allow it to hold him back, the shame of the cross. What does it look like for Jesus to do that? And then we're going to ask the question, okay, in light of that, how do we live our lives? Now, when we get back to Matthew chapter 27, we don't have time to cover all the verses in this chapter, obviously, and so I'm going to pick out three or four that I think will be really important for us to understand what it means for Jesus to endure the cross and despise the shame. And so we're going to start in verse 15. So Matthew chapter 27, we're going to start here in verse 15 with a famous story about Barabbas that even reflects some of those psalms that we sang together uh, just a few minutes ago. Verse 15 of Matthew 27. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now as this story begins to unfold, you have this story in which Pilate is playing a political game. Pilate is the governor. He's trying to hold on to his political power. He's trying to figure out how to deal with this crowd. At the same time, you have a crowd, some of whom just a few days earlier had been worshiping Jesus and praising him. Now some of them have turned against him. You have this crowd that's calling out for Jesus' crucifixion. And in the middle of this, Jesus faces the shame of having to be a pawn, having to be a piece in this political game. He's portrayed as a revolutionary. Uh, Barabbas and these other prisoners, many of whom were crucified, they were political revolutionaries. They were pressing for national power, working against the power of Rome, and many of them were crucified for that reason, and Jesus gets lumped up with them, even though throughout his ministry he said that's not what he's doing. And so Jesus is dealing with the shame of just being a piece in someone's political game. He's being pressed into this position because he didn't play the ethnic or national political game that many of the people wanted him to, and yet Jesus endured that shame, which tells us, Emmaus, hear me out on this. When we look to Jesus, we do not look to Jesus for personal political power. We do not look to Jesus to promote our national power, or our ethnic power. Jesus endured that shame so that we would be taken away from those temptations. So we would say our hope is in him, not in any power of this world, not in any political power, not in any national power. It's important that we deal with political things well. It's important that we deal with national things well, but we do not look to those things as Savior, and we do not lump Jesus in with those things. Even he is enduring that shame right here. Now, as that story continues, it goes down to verse 27. Here's what it says in verse 27. As Jesus is taken out, it says, The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion, probably a couple hundred people before him, and they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, to understand the shame of this situation, I want you to see a picture that's probably going to pop up on your screen here in just a minute. On the right side of that screen, there is an image, 
And what this image represents, it's an ancient game board. Now, this particular image comes from after the time of Jesus. It's a piece of stone that was found after the time of Jesus, but it seems to reflect something that was taking place in the time that Jesus was alive. And it's this game that Roman soldiers would play, and essentially, you find that game laid out in your Bible in Matthew 27, verse 27 to 31. What is happening here? What kind of shame is Jesus dealing with? He is being treated as a piece. He's the shoe in Monopoly. (laughs) He's the little green piece in Sorry. I don't know what board games you play at home. Right now is probably a good time to play Monopoly because of all the time we have on our hands. Kids, you may like to play Sorry or Shoots and Ladders or something like that. In this situation, Jesus is not being treated with the worth and the dignity that he deserves, he's just a piece in someone's game. He's just a part of someone's hobby. He's just a way that someone passes the time. He took on that shame. He was treated in that way. What does that tell us? Jesus is not our hobby. He's not a way we pass the time. He's not something we just do for fun. We don't treat him as a piece on a game board that we move around for our purposes and our entertainment. He stands over our life as king. He stands over our life as Lord. And to treat him as a hobby, to treat him as a way to pass the time, to mock him, to despise him as a form of entertainment, do you see the shame that he endured for us on the cross, on the way to the cross? Skip down to verse 37. Let's see the way this continues. Verse 37, at the time of his crucifixion, over his head, they put the charge that was made against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now the irony is Matthew's able to tie together the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus in many ways. This is the proclamation that was made by the wise men when when they came, and now it's being made again in a very ironic way. Verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus, as it says from Isaiah 53 that Roxy read earlier, this idea that he was numbered with the transgressors, that the shame he took on, that he came from heaven to take on flesh, to be with us, to be treated as one of us so that he could die with us and for us. Verse 39, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And look at verse 40. This is fascinating. Verse 40, it says, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. You save yourself. If you are the Son of God, this is the end of verse 40, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now why is that such a fascinating phrase? Because that is the exact temptation that Satan put before Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. If you are the Son of God, then show your power. If you are the Son of God, here's a way to avoid the cross. The temptation at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where Satan comes to him in Matthew chapter 4, is he is trying to get Jesus to doubt whether or not he is truly the Son of God. And ultimately, he wants Jesus to avoid the way of the cross because Satan knows the implications of that. You get to the very end of Jesus' ministry at the time of his crucifixion, he is being tempted to doubt his relationship with the Father and he is being tempted to avoid the cross. Come down from the cross. Come down from there. Beginning of his ministry, end of his ministry, Jesus has to deal with the shame of having his relationship with his father doubted and him being tempted to cut out the mission that he was sent to accomplish. Jesus, don't go that way. Save yourself 
ultimately would have led to every one of us being condemned to an eternity apart from God. But Jesus trusted the Father. And the way we see that trust is when we get down to verse 45. 45 through 50, we see Jesus' trust in the Father playing out. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Keep that image in your mind, this image of at the crucifixion of Jesus there was darkness because that image of darkness is how we're going to be able to understand the next verse that comes here. So this image of darkness that Jesus endures, the shame. The one who came as the light of the world is now dying in darkness. Let let that contrast sit in. Then think about verse 46. Verse 46 At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a hard verse. This is a hard one to make sense of, and how do we understand? Because we realize that that the Trinity is not exploded at this time, that, that the Father's relationship with the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, that has not been broken, that the mission of God has not been crushed at this moment. What, what's happening here? Jesus is taking on not just physical pain, but he is taking on our sin. He is taking on the wrath of God against sin. He is taking on the shame and the guilt and the punishment that we deserve. He's taking that on. And in a sense, what is happening here is Jesus is taking on our curse. And we find that idea played out in the book of Galatians. One way to understand this is if you connect it back to the priestly blessing that you find in Numbers chapter 6, that God's face would shine upon his people and be gracious to them. In this moment, the light of God, the face of God that would shine upon his people is no longer shining, and so you have an image of darkness. You have an image of the Father turning away in this way. Not abandoning, but turning away. And in this moment, Jesus cries out with this cry of lament from Psalm 22, which is this psalm in which there's a cry, God, but it's not that God has abandoned. It's a cry of faith. God, I'm enduring this pain. I'm enduring this curse, but yet I still trust you. Look at how this passage ends in verse 50. In verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In the shame of the cross, Jesus has not been the victim. He has been the one who gave his life for us. And so let's transition at this moment back to Hebrews chapter 12. If it's good for you to turn back in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, I want us to think again about what does it mean to look to Jesus? What does it mean to look to the one who gave his life for us? When we look to Jesus, we see the cross and we see the resurrection, that he is our hope, that he is the one who gave himself for us, that he took on the shame, he took on the sin, he took on the guilt that we deserve, he died for us in our place, so he serves as our savior, but now he sits on the throne with his father, that he is victorious, why? Because of the resurrection. And so when you think about how do I keep running in life, when the adrenaline runs out, when you face difficulty in life, when you think, I don't know where to go next, I don't know where to take my family next, I don't know where to take my next step, look to Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, you look straight to the cross and to the power of the resurrection. 
Let me say just a quick thing, that if you are not a follower of Jesus, I hope these realities of the cross and the resurrection will be helpful to you. Because when people talk to you about Christianity or they try to share the good news of Jesus with you, hear me out on this if you're not a follower of Jesus. You are not being called to political power. You are not being called to a particular nation or particular national power. You're not being called to have another thing to entertain you or pass your time. You're not being called to any of those things. There are two problems that every one of us have that we can never deal with on our own. It's the reality of sin and it's the reality of death. No matter how hard we try in our own strength, we can never deal with the reality of sin and the reality of death. And yet Jesus has done both of those for you. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you say, I've always heard about the cross, I've always heard about the resurrection, it's not that i completely opposed to religion, I'm, I'm just not interested in that church thing, that religion thing, can I ask you to look to Jesus? When you look to Jesus, you see one who died for you in your place so that he would take all that shame, all that guilt, all that fear, and in response, he would give you life life abundant, life eternal because of the power of the resurrection. And so you're called to live this life, run this race, looking to him. If you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've never made him Lord of your life, the one that you follow, the one you look to for hope, can I ask you to do that right now? That you would call out to him and say, Jesus, I trust you. Take my shame, take my guilt, take my fear, I trust in you. I hope in you because of the resurrection. Would you give me life? Would you give me salvation? And that is not something that we just do and then forget and move on from. Emmaus, that reality is something we need to be reminded of all the time. It's why we gather together. It's why we connect in these ways. It's why we read scripture. It's why we encourage one another. Continue to look to Jesus. How do you run with endurance? Not by getting beyond the gospel, but by remembering the gospel. Remembering what Jesus has done for you and what he's doing in you through the power of the resurrection. Now the question is, you say, Owen, I, I want that. Like I trust that, I wanna be a part of that, I wanna remember the gospel. Could you tell me how to do that? Like some practical ways to live that out? I'm glad you asked because Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some ways to do that. Look back in Hebrews chapter 12. How do we continue to look to Jesus? How do we run with endurance? Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run. When we endure in the faith, when we look to Jesus, this is not an individual sport. This is something we've been called to do together. How do you endure in your faith? Let, let's say the adrenaline runs out this week and, and it just all, all the energy runs out of you. you. You hit a wall. How do you keep going? Let's say something happens this week that you never expect. And, and for many of you, this has been the reality for the last few weeks, few weeks. You've gotten news. Things have happened that you never expected. How do you continue to look to Jesus? How do you continue to endure it's because of the people that the Lord has put around you. In this passage in Hebrews 12, we're called to look back 
to people of faith in the past, this great cloud of witnesses that we look to as examples. You know, one of the things that's been neat in the, in the last couple of weeks as we talk about everything we're dealing with the, the virus around us is to look back in history and to remember we're not the first people to run into this type of challenge. And so you can look back in history and you can see how believers have handled these things at different times and we can learn from them. And so as a church, we need to remember that, that following Jesus didn't start with us, that people have been doing this for years and years and years and we can look back to history to learn and to receive encouragement and to receive direction. It's also been good for us church to be able to look globally at what we're dealing with. We're in a situation where we're not able to gather in our nice American church buildings. But guess what? We have brothers and sisters around the world who are experts at following Jesus when they don't have a nice place to gather in. And so the best thing we can do right now is be able to look globally and say, what does it look like for the gospel to spread? The gospel spreads fastest usually where there aren't a lot of nice church buildings for people to gather in. And so at this moment, we don't panic. We look globally at our brothers and sisters and say, what can we learn from believers around the world? At a time like this, 1 Peter 5, 9 says, one of the ways you're able to stand firm is to remember you're not the only people going through these types of challenges. And then it brings us in close to home. How do you endure in faith? How do you keep going? You connect to a local church. You're a part of a group of people who hold you accountable, who care for you, who challenge you, who speak into your life when you're not looking to Jesus. And let me say directly to you, at a time like this, this is the time to reconnect with the local church. If you would admit right where you are that, you know what, I've been trying to do this Jesus thing on my own, or I have not taken the local church seriously in a long time, I pray that the Lord would use this situation to draw you back to a group of people who will hold you accountable, who you can care for and they can care for you, who can speak into your life, speak the truth in love, you would connect with a group of people in that church. There have been a few instances where I've heard people say, you know, now that we're using technology and now that we're going through this, you know, people may just get used to this online church thing. I would say it's the opposite. I think when we get through this, I think people are going to be drawn back together as a part of a church. And if you have not been connected to a church, I'm not saying that needs to be Emmaus. We're not here to promote our institution. We're not here to add to our numbers. I am here to tell you that the way that you continue to look to Jesus, the way you continue to endure, is when you are connected to a group of people who are following Jesus together. So let me encourage you to do that. Here's the third thing you would do. So first, we look to Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. We do this together. And then look at what it says here in verse 2. I'm sorry, the end of verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. How do I continue to endure? How do I continue to look to Jesus? We need to drop some weight. We need to get rid of some things that have been weighing us down. And we need to untangle from some sin that have been holding us back as we seek to follow after Jesus. How do you run a long race? Well, not by wearing army boots. That may be a way to train, and many of you train in that way as part of the, part of the military. But when you think about a long-distance runner, you think of someone that's dropped the weight. They said, I can't carry around excess baggage, excess weight, and continue to run this race long-term. I can't be tripped up by things around me like sin that weaves into our lives. 
The reality of what we face lately is many of us have been able to set aside some things. Maybe we didn't do it on our own, but it was forced to be set aside. As a church, as followers of Jesus, let me give you this encouragement. As we move through this over the next several weeks and months, be careful about picking up all that weight and immediately adding it back to your life. It may be that because of what has happened over the last few weeks, we've been able to drop some weight. We've been able to have some things put to the side. We've been able to have some things exposed, to be honest. Let's not pick all those things up all at the same time and add them back. The Lord may allow some of that to drop to the side so we can run with endurance the race that he set before us. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like in your life, but one of the ways that you can know you're carrying around extra weight, one of the ways you can know you're carrying around this extra baggage that holds you back, uh, look for loss of joy. If you're experiencing a loss of joy in your relationship with the Lord, if you are often just feeling exhausted with life, church just feels like one other thing that you add to your plate, following Jesus is just another thing to fill up your day. If you find yourself dealing with a lot of anxiety, uh, if a critical spirit has worked its way into your heart, you just find yourself negative about everything, you become apathetic, nothing matters, I don't care about, those are signs that you are carrying around extra weight that needs to be dropped to the side. How do we know that? We look to Jesus and then we look at the things in our life and say, what here allows me to follow after him? Are there things that are getting in the way of my relationship with the Lord that need to be set aside? Are there sins that have been tangling me up that I need to untangle from? I need to slow down, I need to get help from others, and I need to get rid of those things and push them to the side so I can run with endurance. Emmaus, I believe more than ever that the Lord has set before us a race that is good. It is going toward his purposes, is going toward his goals, and we want to run this race together. I don't want us to be a church that's driven by adrenaline, that's driven by hype. Those things are fun when they happen, but those things are not necessary to drive us forward in what it means to follow Jesus. We say he is worthy. We are gonna preach the gospel and we're gonna live the gospel out. We're gonna look at the cross and we're gonna look at the resurrection and we're going to do that together. And as a church and as individuals, we're gonna get rid of anything that stands in the way of that. And we're gonna turn away from sin and we're gonna look to Jesus because he is worthy of everything that we have to give. Will the race be hard? Yeah, yeah, probably will. Will there be times you wanna give up? Yeah, probably so. Well, there'll be times you get distracted every day. You've been distracted a lot in the last 30 minutes. I've been speaking to you, and I've been distracted in the last 30 minutes. We get distracted. We get discouraged. How do we overcome that? Look to Jesus together. Emmaus, I love you. I'm so thankful for the work that God is doing in our church. I'm excited of what, what that's going to look like seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years from now about what the Lord is leading us to. And let me say one more thing before I wrap up. If you're listening to this and you are uncertain about your relationship with the Lord, if you know that you're not a follower of Jesus, you're held back by shame that's happened in your life, fears that you have about death, guilt that you carry around with you, you've been trying to get by in life by having a good family and being a good neighbor and trying to hold things together, can I urge you to look to Jesus? 
Look to Jesus for hope and salvation. He died for you in your place so that you would have abundant and eternal life. I want to lead you in a prayer right now where we're able to make that commitment together and then we're going to wrap up this video and I hope we're able to connect throughout the week and then be able to see each other technologically uh, again next Sunday. Let me pray for us right now. Father, I pray for those at home who are watching in different ways and are maybe uncertain about their relationship with you. God, I pray that they would look to Jesus. We live in a world where we have very important political and economic and educational questions that we need to answer, medical questions, all of those things. God, in this moment, we look to Jesus for life and salvation. Father, I pray that there would be people right now who would say, Lord, I need forgiveness of sin. Take my shame, take my guilt, take my fear. I trust in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Would you make that confession where you are at home? Kids, if you've never trusted in Jesus, this is a great time to talk to your parents about what that means. If what's happened over the last few weeks has caused you to be very distracted, if you realize that you've been treating Jesus as a hobby and your eyes have not been focused on him, if you become disconnected from the church, now is a great opportunity to make that commitment again. God, thank you for the incredible work that you're doing in churches all over the world. God, thank you for the way we see that in our Facebook feeds. Thank you for the way we hear those stories. God, we celebrate the work you're doing around the world. And God, we celebrate the work you're doing at Emmaus. Draw us together as a church and then use us to advance the gospel in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We love you, Emmaus. Have a great day. Hope to hear from you again soon. See you.